We hope you like this Resurrection Oakland Church podcast. Unauthorized use of any part of this copyrighted material for redistribution or duplication is not permitted without prior consent from Resurrection Oakland Church. To learn more about our church and its charity and mission work in and around Oakland, California, please visit our website at www.resoakland.com. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only to witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Gracious God, we come into this room this morning from so many different places. We come from so many different places on the spectrum of life. Some of us come full of joy, while others of us come full of sorrow or struggle or anxiety or depression or despair. We come from so many different places on the spectrum of belief. Some of us are filled with a sense of joy and your presence in our lives as we sing the things that we've been singing and as we celebrate the things that we've been celebrating. We are convinced, but others of us come unconvinced. Some of us come having once believed, wondering if we could ever believe again, and some of us are in this room this morning, and this is our first time ever in a Christian worship service. God, we come from so many different places, but in another sense, we come from the same place. More of a mess than we know, more in need of your grace than we know, and so we ask that you would speak to us today. Speak to us wherever we find ourselves today and give us ears to hear you because everything that you have to say to us is good news for us. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning. Uh, My name is Brent and I'm one of the pastors here. And for those of you who are visiting with us for the very first time today, we are so, so glad that you're here. Uh, Pastor Dave and I would love to get to meet you um, after the service at the party. So please come introduce yourself to us. We'd love to get to learn 
your name. Um, if you are new, we've, uh, we've been in this sermon series the last couple weeks uh, leading up to Christmas. I'm going to adjust this so I can see my notes here. Pastors have notes. I don't know if you knew that. There's stuff written down right here. Um, yeah. Um, we don't just wing this stuff. Okay. Anyways, we've been in a, in a series called He Shall Be Called. And uh, we've been looking at this very famous passage in Isaiah chapter 9, where we learn four names of Jesus. Now, Isaiah was, he was a prophet in the Old Testament. And there's this really famous verse, and if you're, even if you're not all that familiar with the Bible, maybe you've heard this verse before. I think we have it up here on the screen. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. These are the words you just heard sung a moment ago. At Christmas, we find a God who is Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And each week what we've been doing is we've been taking one of these names and we've been looking at a passage in the New Testament to help us understand who Jesus is and what this actually means for our lives. Now this morning, we're looking at the name Everlasting Father. What does it mean that Jesus is Everlasting Father? And what does that have to do with our lives And what I want to suggest to you this morning is that it actually has to do with our deepest longings. See, we are creatures of longing. In uh, 1977, NASA sent two spacecraft into outer space, Voyager 1 and Voyager 2. The purpose of these spacecraft was to explore the possibility of extraterrestrial life. And guess what? These things are still floating around in space today. Here's something really interesting about these two spacecraft is that included on each of them is a record player, I mean of all things, a record player and a record. And the contents of that record are meant to communicate to anyone who might find them what life is like in this world, in our world. Here are some of the sounds on that record, wind, rain, we've had a lot of that lately, Uh, fire, thunder, all sorts of different animal sounds. But here is the most interesting thing that is on that record. It is a piece by Beethoven called Opus 130. And the person who was responsible for deciding to put that on there was a woman named Annie Druin, a scientist named Annie Druin. And in an interview just three years ago, just three years ago, she was reflecting on why she chose the Beethoven piece. And this is what she said. She said, as soon as they told me the contents of this record would last a thousand million years, I thought of this great, beautiful, sad piece of music on which Beethoven had written in the margin of his notes the word Sehnsucht. It's the German word for longing. And then she says this, part of what we wanted to capture in the Voyager message was this great longing that we all feel. Now, I think that is so interesting because when NASA sends a message to the universe to describe to them what it means to be human. What does it mean to be human? 
NASA says the essence of what it means to be human is that we are creatures of longing. And you know this about yourself. I mean, we come into this room this morning. We have all sorts of longings. We long for beauty. We long to make an impact on the world. We long for our shame to go away. We long for peace. We long for justice. We long for meaning. But what I want to suggest to you this morning is that the name Everlasting Father points us this morning to our two deepest longings and to the God who alone can meet them. Two longings that are shared by every single person in this room, regardless of your age or your race or your socioeconomic status or your sexual orientation, regardless of how religious or irreligious you consider yourself to be. We all have these longings. What are they? What are these two longings? Well, we see them in this passage in John chapter 1. And we actually see them in the name, Everlasting Father. Jesus is, he is Everlasting Father, and he is Everlasting Father. So what I want to do just with you for a moment here is look first at the everlasting part and the longing that it points us to, and the Father part and the longing that it points us to. So first, let's talk about this idea that Jesus is Everlasting Father. Uh, what is this talking about? Okay, remember Isaiah chapter 9 is in the Old Testament, so it's written in Hebrew. And in ancient Hebrew literature, whenever you confer the title Father to someone, it is a way of saying that they invented something or they possess something. And we actually still do this today. I'll give you some examples. Steph Curry, he is the father of the three-point shot. Huh? Ray Kroc. Do you know who Ray Kroc is? <clears throat> Founder of McDonald's, also known as the father of fast food. Elon Musk. He is the father of Tesla. He may also be the terminator of Twitter, but we don't know yet. <laughs> time, only time will tell. Walt Disney. You know who Walt Disney is? You say the father of Disneyland. Wrong. He is the father of the most expensive vacation that a family with young children can possibly take. Now, to call Jesus everlasting Father is to say that He is the Father of everlasting. He, he, he possesses eternity. He is infinite and eternal in His nature. And I want you to know something. That is a radical claim, and it is actually a claim that our passage begins with today. Look at verse 1 in John chapter 1. John says, in the beginning was the Word. And you say, what is the Word? The Word is not a what, the Word is a who. The Word is John's way of talking about Jesus. So wherever you see the word Word in this passage, just substitute in Jesus. So look at it. He says, in the beginning was Jesus. And the Word, or Jesus, was with God, and Jesus was God, he, meaning Jesus, was with God in the beginning. Now, John uses that phrase, in the beginning, two times. That's how he starts the book and how he ends that verse that we just read. And if you're all familiar with the Bible, these words ought to ring a bell for you, in the beginning. Because these are the very first words in the Bible. Genesis 1 says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. And here is what John is telling us. John is telling us 
There is a connection between creation and Christ. And here's the connection. The connection is that Jesus was there when it happened. And John is not just saying not only was he there when it happened, but Jesus was there before it happened. Look at verse 3. It says, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. John is saying Jesus was not created by God. Jesus is God. Jesus did not come into being. He brought everything else into being. He is the infinite, eternal creator God who has always existed in eternity past. And he will always exist in eternity future. He has no beginning and he has no end. And not even death could defeat him. The Christian story says this, friends, that Jesus rose from the dead and he will live forever and ever. And all of those who trust in him will do that with him. And you see, here we have one of the deepest longings of the human heart. You know what it is? It's the longing for eternity. It is the longing for life to go on. It's the longing for this world to not be the end. It is the longing for our relationships with people that we love to last forever and ever. You see, some of us in this room, we dread Christmas. You know why we dread Christmas? Because it is a reminder of the people that we have lost. And we would give anything to see them just one more time. We would give anything for one more hug, one more I love you, one more conversation. We wish life could go on. Walter Isaacson wrote a very famous biography of Steve Jobs. And in the book, he records the very last conversation that he and Steve Jobs had. It was, it was just before Jobs died. And he knew that he was dying. He had pancreatic cancer. And this is, what, this is how Isaacson records the last conversation. He says, on one sunny afternoon, when he wasn't feeling well, feeling well, Jobs sat in the garden behind his house, and he reflected on death. He talked about his experiences in India almost four decades earlier, his study of Buddhism, and his views on reincarnation and spiritual transcendence. Jobs said, I'm about 50-50 on believing in God. For most of my life, I felt that there must be more to our existence than meets the eye. I like to think, listen to this, I like to think that something survives after you die. It's strange to think that you accumulate all of this experience and maybe a little wisdom, and then it just goes away. So what I really want to believe is that something survives, that maybe our consciousness endures. And then Isaacson writes, Jobs fell silent for a long time. And then he said, but on the other hand, perhaps it's just like an on-off switch. Click, and then you're gone. This is why I didn't like putting on-off switches on Apple devices. Now here you have somebody who is admittedly not religious, and yet he longs for an afterlife. He longs for eternity. And you see, this is all of us, actually. 
And some of you in this room, maybe you're hearing this and you think, well, you know, just because we want something to be true doesn't mean that it is. And that is very fair, actually. Um, that's actually what Sigmund Freud said about religion. He said that all religion, he called religion wish fulfillment. That's what he called religion. He said that, you know, basically as human beings, we have all of these wishes and longings. Longings like having meaning and purpose in life. Longings like knowing that our suffering is not senseless. Longing that we will see our loved ones again. And what Freud says is that we have all these wishes and these longings. And so what do we do? We create the idea of God so that we can tell ourselves one day those wishes will be met. See, Freud would say just because we long for it to be true doesn't mean that it is true. And if that's compelling for you, I would just challenge you with one simple question this morning. Why is it that we even want it to be true? Why do we even have a longing for eternity? And for that matter, why do we have any longing? I mean, think about your deepest desires for just a moment. You're longing for justice. You're longing for meaning. You're longing for friendship and to be deeply known by another person. Where do these desires come from? Where do they come from? Are they just random products of evolution? Or are they clues to something else? C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, says this. He says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. People feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. And then he says this. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. What if the reason that we long for eternity is because we were made for it? Uh, what if the reason we long for it is because as the writer of Ecclesiastes says, God has set eternity in the human heart. What if the reason you and I long for eternity is because we weren't made to die, but to live forever? And what if the reason that Jesus came at Christmas was so that all of this would be possible? There's this really famous song that Christians sing every Christmas. It's called Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it goes like this. I'm not going to sing it for you because that'd be terribly awkward. Um, <laughs> It goes like this. Hail the heaven-born prince of peace. Hail the son of righteousness. Light and life to all he brings. Risen with healing in his wings. Mild he lays his glory by. That's talking about Jesus left heaven. And he left his glory and he came as a baby. Mild he lays his glory by. Born that we no more may die. The radical claim of Christmas is that the infinite one became the finite one so that we could live forever. So that just as he was raised from the dead, so we could be raised from the dead. Just as he lives for eternity, so can we. 
And so that one day we will never, ever, ever, ever have to say goodbye to people we love anymore. And if your heart longs for that, and I think if you pay any attention to it whatsoever, you'll find that it does. If your heart longs for that, Christmas says you can have it. It's one of the deepest longings of the human heart. But there is a second longing in this passage. And that brings us to the second part of the name. Jesus is not just everlasting, but he is Father. Now, the idea that Jesus would be called Father is a bit strange. Uh, If you're new to Christianity, haven't really been around it much, haven't read the Bible that much, you need to know that one of the things that sets Christianity apart from every other religion the world has ever known is that it says God is a community. God is not just one, but God is three in one. This is what Christians call the Trinity. And in the Trinity, you have a family. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And so the question we need to ask is, how can Jesus, God the Son, be called Father? When when Isaiah calls Jesus everlasting Father in Isaiah chapter 9, he is not confusing the different members of the Trinity. He is simply highlighting the fact that they help us to understand one another. So for example, in John chapter 14, Jesus is hanging out with the disciples. And they say, Jesus, show us what God is like. And Jesus says to them something very radical. He says, well, you've seen me, haven't you? If you've seen me, you've seen God. Now this is crazy. Who talks like this? Only Jesus talks like this. He's constantly saying, listen, I am not just another religious teacher. I'm not just another prophet. I'm not just another wise sage. I'm not just a moral example who's come to tell you how to live. I have come to show you what God is like. I am God in human form. If you were to put skin and bones on God, you'd end up with me. This is what Jesus is saying. And in Hebrews chapter 1, it says this about Jesus. It says that he is the exact representation of God. That means that Jesus shows us exactly what God is like. Now, what does he show us that God is like? A lot of things. But namely for this morning, he shows us that God is like a father. When in Matthew chapter 6, when Jesus is teaching the disciples to pray, he says, whenever you pray, start with these words. Our Father. And then every time that Jesus prays in the Gospels, you know how he begins? Father. In Luke chapter 15, he tells one of his most famous parables about a son who runs away from his family and squanders everything in wild living, only to be welcomed home by a father who has been waiting on him all along. Think about the way that a father relates to a child. Think about about a father's love for a child. It is very different from almost every other kind of love. Henry Nouwen, the great Catholic writer, he says this, the world's love is full of ifs. Yes, I love you if you were good looking, if you were intelligent, if you were well off, if you were educated, if you have connections, if you are productive. See, but a father's love for a child has no ifs. 
It's a love that says, I love you because I love you. There's nothing conditional about it. There's no ifs about it. Now, I know that not everyone in this room has had a father like that. But we have all longed for one. See, that's the point. We've all longed for a parent like that. We've all longed for a father like that. And you see, deep in every human heart is this longing. It is the longing to be loved. Victor Hugo once said, the greatest happiness in all of life is the conviction that we are loved. What the human heart wants more than anything else is to be seen for who we really are. Not who we project ourselves to be, but for who we really are, good, bad, and ugly. All of our victories and all of our defeats and all the mistakes that we've made, we want to be seen all the way to the bottom and loved, embraced. We want to know that we're cherished without any conditions or stipulations. We want to have somebody who looks at us and says, you are mine. And I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. I will never let you down. I will never disappoint you. I will never turn away from you. And I will always be there for you. And I will always love you. And you see, even those of us who had some of the best fathers in this room, we did not have fathers who could say those words to us. You know why? Because fathers die. They don't possess eternity. They're not infinite. I lost my dad four years ago. I'd give anything to hear him say those words to me again. But he can't. And the question that every human heart is asking is, is there anyone who can? Is there anyone who can love me like this? I know a pastor who has one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. It's, it's, it's the story of uh, his adoption. Uh, his mother gave birth when she was 15 years old. She had five children in five years with five different men. And he and his siblings witnessed terrible things. The state finally intervened. They separated he and his siblings into different homes, and from there it only got worse. He went from one home to another. In fact, between the ages of 6 and 12, he was in eight different homes. And terrible things happened to him. One foster parent made him eat and drink out of a dog bowl for his meals. He saw one foster parent murder another one. He had one foster parent who, who made him stand at the entrance to school wrapped in soiled sheets as all the other kids walked through the doors to go to class. And it had all sorts of harmful effects on him. He wet the bed until he was 12 years old. In the sixth grade, he had the social ability of a five-year-old. One teacher wrote on his report card, this child will never amount to anything. Very, very hard and very, very sad. But in Washington State, there was a couple in their mid-40s 
who had always wanted to have children. And they'd never been able to. And so they decided to adopt. And the state gave them a book that had the profiles of 500 teenagers, orphaned teenagers, in this book. And this couple opened that book, and they looked at these pictures. And in his, in his own words, this little boy who's now a grown man says, for some reason, known only to God, they came to my picture and said, that's our boy. And he describes the moment that he met them like this. He says, I'll never forget that day. It was Christmas Day, 1959. And in eastern Washington, on a snowy day, this man came rushing up the sidewalk, enfolded me in his flesh, and said, I love you. It was the first time in my life I'd ever heard those words. And I remember the tears running down my face when he asked me this question. Would you be my son? I want you to know something. As powerful as that story is, it is just a small glimpse of the love of God. A love that asks you and me the same question this morning. Would you be my son? Would you be my daughter? That is what Christmas is about. Look at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Let me ask you a question. What is a Christian? Some of you might say, well, a Christian is a moral person. Or a Christian is a religious person. A Christian is somebody who votes a certain way. You know, or maybe you would say, well, a Christian is someone who loves God. All of these are wrong. You say, wait a minute. I thought that's what this whole Jesus thing was about, like loving God. That is part of it. But that is not first and foremost what a Christian is. A Christian is not someone who loves God. A Christian is someone who knows they are loved by God. Loved as a father loves their child. And you see, the Christian story says that all of this is actually made possible because of Christmas. Because the only true son of God became human. And he came into this world to live and die and rise again and to do for you and me what we could never do for ourselves so that we might become children of God. So that we might be loved by God without any ifs or conditions. And if you would all know yourself, you know this is the love that you long for. This is the love that every single one of us is searching for. And see, no parent can give you this love, no matter how good of a parent they are. And no spouse or partner can give you this love. And no friend can give you this love. And no amount of success or money can give you this love. But only God can give you this love. And here is the wonder of all wonders this morning. He desperately wants to. And if it has never come into your life, if that love has never come into your life, it can today. And you say, well, how? Well, look again at verse 12. Yet to all who did receive him, and to those who believed in his name. How does God's love come into your life? John does not say, you need to try harder. You need to do better. 
You need to clean your life up and get things together. You need to start making all the right decisions. No, he says, you simply need to believe and receive. It's a gift. And this is one of the unique aspects of the Christian gospel, is that God's love comes into our life, not because of anything that we do to earn it, but because of everything that Christ has done to secure it. And so now it comes as a gift. It comes by sheer grace. And if you've never received that gift today, you can. And you can, you can know this God who is everlasting Father. And you can know that your longing to be loved is already true. And you can know that your longing for eternity will one day come true. This is the hope of Christmas. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the hope that we find at Christmas and in your Son, a hope that makes Christmas so much more than just a holiday to make us feel warm and fuzzy inside, but something that says our deepest longings can actually be filled and come true. If we're honest, nothing in this world can do it. Some of us, we have been searching from one thing to the next, only to be left more and more empty. If we'd never looked to you, I pray that you would help us to do that today, that you would use our longings to drive us to you, which is what they were meant to do all along. Fill us, God. Fill us with hope. Fill us with love. Fill us with joy. Fill us in a way that only you can fill us. We ask all of these things in your son's name. Amen.